All right, I've got some good news for you as we begin. I am a good news preacher. Good news, the, the word gospel means good news. And we gather weekly to remind ourselves of the good news that we believe in Jesus Christ. And specifically, I want to share with you just right off the bat, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, one of the most glorious verses in all the New Testament, in all the Bible, where Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the good news is, if you are a baptized believer, if you are a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, you do not have to live in fear and dread of death and destruction. You can live confident lives of faith in service and devotion to God, knowing that if you're in Christ, if you're abiding in His presence, there is no condemnation, there is no fear of death and destruction because of sin, because the blood of the Lamb, the perfect sacrifice of God, His very Son, has washed your sins away. And you have received salvation. Now isn't that good news, church? Oh, that was so meager, so weak. Look alive. Here we go. Isn't that good news, church? Amen. Yes. And news like that, well, it should stir our hearts. It should cause our hearts to, to soar. And, you know, when we really think about what we deserve because of our sin, which is death, which is punishment, and when we consider God's abundant grace, I mean, truly, news like that should take our breath away. Yet, this morning, we need to be reminded that even as baptized believers, even as those who are in Christ, our battle against sin is not over. And it will not be over until we draw our final breath. Uh, if anything, the fact that we have we've staked our claim with God and we've said we're on God's side, if anything, that causes the devil to intensify his attacks against us. In fact, the New Testament teaches, despite what some of our religious friends and neighbors may say, that the believer, the baptized believer, the Christian, can embrace sin to the point that he or she can lose their salvation. We find this teaching in places like Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 26. I've got this up here on the screen. Where the Hebrews writer says, if we go on sinning deliberately, he's speaking to Christians, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, after embracing Christ, after being baptized into his name and welcomed into God's family, after that, then what does he say? There no longer remains a sacrifice of sins. Yes, Jesus did die on the cross for the sins of all humanity. But what the Hebrews writer means here is that you can sin to the point, you can embrace a sinful lifestyle to the point that that sacrifice no longer reaps benefits for you. That you are no longer a recipient of the blessings that come from that sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. There no longer remains a sacrifice for you. And we've got to take verses like that seriously. And this morning we're going to be in the book of James. And I would invite you to grab your Bible and go there with me to James chapter 1. To the passage that was read earlier for us. James 1 starting at verse 13. 
where James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, and a leader in the church in Jerusalem, he warns us here about the ever-present dangers of sin. More specifically, he tells us that the pathway into sin, into a sinful lifestyle, begins with temptation. And this is really the word, this is the concept that I want us to talk about this morning. Now let's just take an informal poll. If you have never been tempted, then raise your hand. If you have never been tempted. Okay. If I had seen a hand, I would ask you to come see me in my office after the close of the worship service because we would need to talk about some things. But I didn't see any hands. And I didn't expect to, because we all know about the, the reality of temptation. James knows that temptation is a reality for everyone. It's why he says here in verse 13, when he is tempted or when she is tempted, not if. Because we know that when it comes to temptation, it's not a matter of if, only when even the most virtuous, even the one most focused on living a moral and ethical life is at risk of being drawn away by temptation. William J. Bennett is a Harvard Law School graduate and he served as Secretary of Education in the 1980s under President Reagan. But he is perhaps best known as the editor of the Book of Virtues, A Treasury of Great Moral Stories. And I bet that a lot of you have this book in your home. This collection, this volume was required reading in college in an ethics class. And it's filled with great stories from history about, you know, it, it just focuses on fostering morality and extols the values of responsibility and courage and compassion and honesty and self-control, among others. So it was shocking when in 2003, news broke that Bill Bennett was a high-stakes gambler who reportedly lost millions of dollars in Las Vegas. Now, my intention is not to dredge up Bill Bennett's past because I believe from what I've read that, you know, he, he's quit his bad habit, that he's left that in his past. I just bring up this example to share with us all that it's, if it's possible for a man who wrote an entire volume dedicated to cultivating morality to develop an, an addiction, a serious gambling habit or problem, then, well, it's possible for any of us to let temptation lead us down a dark pathway. We are all susceptible. So being virtuous doesn't make you immune to temptation. Or I should say, doesn't make you immune to giving in to temptation. Because the temptation itself is not the sin. To be tested or to be tempted is not the sin. It is when we give in to that. It is when we indulge whatever it is that tempts us. Being virtuous doesn't make us immune to giving in, but, but embracing Christ-like virtue, allowing God to renovate our hearts, spending time in prayer and His Word and in worship with brothers and sisters, all of those things and more can make us more, not immune, but more resistant. More resistant to giving in. We know that we will not be sinless 
in our walks of faith, in our Christian lives, but we can and should sin less. That should be our goal. Where does temptation come from? What is its source? Well, James reveals that to us in our text today. Let's read verses 13 and 14. Where James writes, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So James quite clearly says, it is not God. God is not the source of your temptation. Temptation does not come from God, it comes from you. It comes from your own desires. But see, from the very beginning, we've been blaming everyone else, or well, everyone but ourselves, for the temptation that we face. Don't we? I think about all the way back in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, after Adam had eaten the forbidden fruit that God said, do not eat, you can have every other fruit in the entire garden, just not that one. And he and the first woman ate of it. And they're confronted by God. And what does Adam, the first man, say? He says, the woman whom you gave to be with me gave me the fruit and I took and ate of it. Now that is some skilled deflection. You hear what Adam does there? In just one short phrase, he blames both God and his wife. He said, she gave me the fruit. And by the way, you gave her to me. So it's your fault and it's her fault. It's not my fault. And we do that about our sin. We blame everybody. But ourselves, it's his fault. It's her fault. It's my kid's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my friend's fault. I was with them and I was tempted and they made it to where I couldn't resist. It's my parents' fault. They didn't teach me as well as they should have. They put too many restrictions in my life and therefore I wanted to rebel they didn't put enough restrictions in my life. And so I was just wide open. There were no rules. It's society's fault. Do we have people who blame society for all of their problems? I am a product of my circumstances completely. It's God's fault. It's what Adam does here. We hear people say, he made me this way. Or he didn't do enough to help me. When I was tempted, he didn't provide a way for escape, even though we're promised that God always does provide a way for us to escape temptation. He put me in this situation. We say it's everybody but ourselves. And on that last one, James says, stop it right there. Don't you put this on God. Don't you lay this at his feet. God is not behind some cosmic sting operation to take you down. That's not who he is. And we are told elsewhere that it is God's greatest desire that all come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. That all come to repentance and be redeemed from their sins. That's who God is. That's what God's all about. God is not up there trying to trip us up and tempt us. James says, James says don't say that it was God who tempted you. God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. If you want to know who's to blame, then go find a mirror. And look at your own reflection. That's who. And the reason this is so important is that we cannot resist temptation until we take responsibility for it. Until we own up to it. 
until we stop making excuses and say, this is my problem. And it comes from within me. And you know, something else that we do is we like to look at everybody else's sin. Why? Because it prevents us from having to look at the darkness of our own hearts. It prevents us from having to look into the mirror at our own iniquities and sins from which we need to repent. So it's much easier. It's much, much easier to go around picking specks out of other people's eyes than it is to go look in a mirror and see the giant plank protruding out of ours. But the problem is, we cannot turn from our sin, we cannot repent of our sin until we acknowledge, until we admit that it's a problem. And it's not anybody's fault but ours. We can't take responsibility for it until we own up to it. We can't say no. We can't resist temptation until we admit this is not coming from some outside force somewhere. It's coming from me. And it's, it's vital that we resist temptation. And we should want to resist temptation after we read James's graphic description of where temptation can lead. Read it with me, verses 14 and 15. Verses that should cause us to shudder. James says, each person is tempted when he is lured, when he is enticed. Aren't those loaded verbs there? By his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Like a fisherman's lure or a hunter's trap, our desires can ensnare us. I think about what God said to Cain when he knew Cain was on the verge of doing something terrible to his brother. When Cain had was just about to, to be given over to an anger, to a murderous anger. God said to Cain, sin is crouching at your door and it wants to overcome you, but you must overcome it. And all these millennia later, that language rings as true as it did then, does it not? Don't you sense this? Don't you feel this? That at any point, sin could, the devil could come and attack me. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Sin is crouching at your door. It's lurking around every corner ready to pounce. Just like a trap, our desires can ensnare us. And James says, when we let desire have its way, when we give in, sin is conceived, it's born the ugly product of succumbing to temptation. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth something truly horrific. Something truly monstrous. Death. Not just physical death. Spiritual death. Destruction. Separation from God. Paul says the wages or the payment for sin. Is death. So this is a trip you do not want to take. This process is one we do not want to experience. This pathway that James so vividly describes from temptation to sin to death. He says, well, let me tell you. The best time to stop sin is before it starts. Let this be a warning 
to our young people, to our older people, and everyone in between. The best time to stop sin is before it starts, at the moment of temptation. Let's follow the process backwards. If you want to escape death, you will avoid letting sin run rampant in your life. And if you want to avoid sin, then you will resist temptation to keep from arriving at a terrible destination. Don't take the first step. Don't take the first step. Consider Joseph from the Old Testament. From Genesis chapter 39. Joseph who, the son of one of 12 boys of Jacob. The great grandson of Abraham. He winds up in Egypt in a foreign land. Far away from his hometown and his family. And he ends up, because God is with him. In the home of a high-ranking official in Egypt named Potiphar. And because God is with him, Potiphar puts him over the entire household. But it is not long before he catches the eye of Potiphar's wife. Because scripture tells us that Joseph, much like the one you're looking at, was very handsome in form and appearance. And she couldn't resist. And she comes on to him and her intentions are, are completely evident. She says to him, lie with me. And we find Joseph throughout Genesis 39. First, he refuses her. He does not even for one second entertain this option, this opportunity. He says to her, how would I betray my master, the one who has entrusted his entire household to me? How would I commit this great wickedness against God? And when finally the temptation becomes too much to bear, when, well, when Potiphar's wife... Um, well, she, I guess you could say, attacks him. And he can no longer resist. What does he do then? He flees. He runs away. He does not for one moment give ear to this temptation. He doesn't tiptoe up to the edge of the canyon and peek over. He runs in the opposite direction because he knows that the best time to stop sin from taking over your life is before it ever starts. And we need to be aware, Christians. We need to be practicing enough self-examination and reflection to know the environments and the emotions and the physical states that trigger us in our lives to give in to or to indulge our lust, our anger, our desire to gossip, or slander, and so on and so forth. We need, to, we need to know ourselves so well that we know in what situations we might be more prone to giving in to the devil's schemes, to succumbing to temptation. Because listen, the best time, the best time to stop gambling is before you ever walk into that casino or click on that website. The best time to stop looking at pornography is before you enter that term in the search engine on your phone or your laptop. It's really before you're even in a position to want to enter that term in your phone or on your laptop. Before, long before, you find yourself alone with the emotions that are driving you to indulge your temptation in that way. The best time to stop getting drunk is before you take the first sip. The best time to stop having an affair is before you start flirting with that person at your place of work, before you send that seemingly innocent text message, before you 
start working long hours with just the two of you, the best time to stop saying hateful, hurtful things is before you open your mouth, bite your tongue. Because once you say that, there's no taking that back. And that friendship, that relationship is going to be wounded for a very long time. And it's going to take a very long time for there to be forgiveness, for there to be healing. So don't even start. Because once you turn onto that on-ramp, very difficult to get off the interstate. Very difficult. Once you start down that road, the best time to stop sinning is before you ever start. But, I need to tell you that no matter how Far down a sinful pathway you have wandered. The gospel. Is powerful enough to bring you back. So this sermon. Begins. And it ends. With good news. It's bookended by the gospel. And whereas temptation always comes from within. There is nothing from within. That can bring relief or deliverance or salvation. That comes from without. Salvation always comes from outside. It comes from God. He is never the source of temptation. Instead, as James will say in the next couple of verses, He is the giver of all good and perfect gifts. James chapter 1 verse 17, And the most precious gift, the best gift of all, is the salvation that we can experience through Jesus Christ. The best gift of all is the news that every repentant sinner can be forgiven through the blood of Christ. So you may be involved, you may be ensnared, you may be embroiled in something that is leading you down a, a, a path towards death and destruction. And I hope this morning that you will have enough self-awareness that you will have enough humility, that you will have enough courage to slide out your pew and to come down this aisle and to confess that, not to me, I can't do anything about it, but I serve the God who can and who will. Who delights in forgiving sin to those who come with a penitent heart. Or if you don't feel comfortable coming down this aisle, talk, would you talk to someone? Talk to someone you trust. Talk to someone who's older and wiser. Talk to somebody who you respect in this church or in the faith. James also says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. There is great power in just getting something, get, getting whatever is bothering you off your chest. It is cathartic and it helps to drag that darkness into the light where it can be exposed for what it is, for the foolishness that it is. Talk to somebody, would you? Talk to a couple of elders who will be in the room across the hall. Share with them what's going on with you. Get them to pray for you. You can leave this building with a burden lifted off your back. You can leave healed by the blood of Jesus. Or if you've never become Christian, this is the perfect opportunity for you to come forward and for you to be washed 
in this water so that you can come in contact with the cleansing, purifying blood of Jesus. All your sins will be washed away. And you can bank on that promise with which we began. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me close with James chapter 1 verse 12. The verse that comes before our passage this morning. Blessed is the man. We could say also, blessed is the woman. Blessed is the person who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You can be confident that you will someday receive the crown of life by God's grace and by your willingness to own up to your sin, to turn away from it, and to commit to living a devoted life in His service. And I hope that you'll decide to do that. I hope that you'll decide to bring whatever it is that is ailing you, whatever sin, affliction that you may have. I pray, I hope that you'll come and you'll bring it and you'll lay it at the cross of Christ this morning, the only source of salvation for our sins. Would you do that right now as we stand and sing?